If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 6. We've always counted it a privilege to be able to teach at the school and participate in your guys' lives. Last night we were at a restaurant in Grand Island and we, we came across Cherry Garwood and taught her 10th grade Bible class a long time ago. And uh, she was telling us how things were going for her. And so it's a great opportunity and a privilege to be able to teach and preach God's word and, and then see you guys go on past high school and to college and continue serving the Lord. That's kind of what the, what the goal is of a Christian school. As Gordon said, we're moving to California, Lord willing, in the middle of March. Olivia's going to stay here through the end of the school year and uh, finish it out, and she's going to miss you all. We're going to miss you all, but she's going to miss you all in a special way. And uh, you guys have been great friends to her, and we appreciate that as well as a family. This morning, I'd like to talk to you a little bit out of Romans chapter number 6. But if you're taking notes, the title of the, the uh, lesson this morning is The Other Side of Grace. The Other Side of Grace. Grace can, can sometimes be confusing. Uh, Romans chapter number 5 gives us a real foundation for what grace looks like and what most people under, understand grace to be. Most of us, when we think about grace, um, we think about forgiveness, um, we think about uh, favor, uh, we think about God, God giving us something that we don't deserve, um, we think about heaven, possibly, when we think about grace, um, we think of God's goodness being bestowed upon um, an undeserving people. Probably the, the best verse in the Bible that describes grace is 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. You don't need to turn there. But the Bible says, we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. And uh, there's probably no greater definition of the idea of grace than 2 Corinthians 8 9. Um, some have made an acrostic out of the word grace, and it was God's riches at Christ's expense, which I think also is a good definition of what grace is. But for the most part, we look at, when we look at grace, we look at grace at the point of salvation, and we look at the free gift and the pardon. Romans 5 says that it is the grace of God that causes us to be made righteous, that our righteousness is based upon what Jesus Christ has done for us and not what we have done it is the grace of God that causes us to experience salvation in spite of us because we're, we're all sinners and sinful, yet God chooses to pour out favor on us um, solely because he des desires to, because he wants to. And that, and that is the grace of God. And we, we want to remember that grace is something that God gives us when we are entirely undeserving of it. It's like a gift and it's not like any gift, but it's like a special gift where you are, as an individual, undeserving of the gift. In other words, you are the opposite of deserving or um, you've done something to not deserve the gift or you shouldn't get the gift, and yet you receive it anyway. Um, that's the idea of grace. There's a question. If you're taking notes, there's four thoughts this morning. I want to focus in on the last one. Primarily, But there's a question in Romans 6 and verse 1. There's an answer, there's an accusation, and then there's an explanation. 
And I want to look at those four things because it really introduces us to this other piece of grace that's often overlooked. It's something that grace does to us in, in addition to what grace does for us. And so the question that he asks in verse number one, and this is kind of a rhetorical question, Paul, Paul is assuming this question. As he teaches the Romans here, he's assuming that this question is going to come up and he's going to answer it before the people even ask it. Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He asks the same question in verse number 15 when he says, what then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? So the question that Paul presents with this idea of full pardon, past sins, present sins, and future sins all forgiven. They're all wiped away. That before you even sin in the future, Jesus Christ has already fully satisfied God's wrath for those sins. That literally, according to grace, you can do whatever you want, you can live however you want, you can sin as much as you want, and God can never hold you accountable for it based upon the sufficiency of Jesus Christ for your sins. That is truly the essence of grace. Grace says that God hath poured out his wrath on his son for your benefit, in spite of you, in spite of me. Paul says, because of that reality, because grace is so amazing, because grace is so free, because grace is not based upon what I do, but based upon what Jesus has done, shall we continue in sin? Shall we keep on sinning? And this question takes into consideration, again, what grace does for you, but it doesn't take into consideration what grace does to you. And that's what we want to look at this morning. So the question is, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I define grace for you, but let me define sin for you. The Bible tells us in, in, in Romans chapter number 14 that sin is anything that's done outside of faith. He even boils it down in Romans 14 to eating and drinking. He's like, you can eat and drink in faith, but anything that's done outside of faith is, is sin. And then Romans 3.23, you're familiar with it. The Bible says that sin is anything that falls short of the glory of God. Uh, sin is anything that doesn't meet God's standard. Uh, sin is a bad attitude. Sin is a lustful eye. Sin is an um, uh, envious heart. Uh, sin, is, sin is when we are rebellious against our parents, when we're angry, when we cheat. Uh, sin is a number of different things, but it's not just the things that we do, it's also the attitudes that we have. Um, sin can be, really sin can be almost anything that a person does outside of faith. So Paul asked the question, should I, should we just live freely in sin because grace is so amazing? And again, he asked that question with, without considering what grace does to us. Number two, he gives an answer. The answer is given in both verse 1 and also in verse number 15. He says uh, in the, in the um, 
New King James, he says, certainly not. Um, the Greek phrase here is the strongest Greek negative. It literally means, may it never be so. May it not be something that's even considered. May, may you not even think this way. May you never think that because of grace, I can do whatever I want to do. May that never even cross our minds that we think of grace in that way. May we never minimize or limit or make insignificant grace by saying grace makes it possible for me to live in sin. I remember a, my brother who's a pastor in Texas tells a story of a woman who came to him and he would always be challenging her on her sins and things that she was struggling with and things that she would do that just real not, really were not glorifying to God. And her response was always, well, you know something, Pastor Rick? I'm under grace, so I can do whatever I want. My brother's response to her was this. Jesus didn't die so that you could do whatever you want. And I think that's a very true statement. Jesus didn't die so that we could do whatever we want. Jesus died so that we could experience him. We could experience favor with God. We could experience his blessing. So the answer to the question is, should we continue in sin because of grace? And the answer is, is, may it not be so. May we never even consider it. The third thing is this. There's an accusation. And this is an important accusation. What Paul says here in this verse, as well as in the um, verse 15 and 16, and then also in verse chapter 7 and verse number 1, he says... In verse number three, he says, or do you not know? He says this actually several times in this text. And the, the accusation that Paul makes is this. If you consider grace to be a right to sin, the problem may be that you don't understand grace. The problem may be that there's something inside of you, there's something in your heart, there's a lack of understanding of grace. Do you not know what grace means? Do you not know what grace has done for you? And someone who would consider grace as a license to sin or a right to sin might simply not understand grace. It might be that someone that comes to us and says, you know what? I'm under grace so I can do whatever I want, might actually be lost. Have we ever considered that? Have we ever thought that maybe they really don't understand what grace is? They don't understand what grace does? They don't understand grace at all? Paul says, do you, do you not know? He says it down in verse number 16. Do you not know? In chapter 7 and verse 1, he says, do you not know? In other words, the, the accusation that Paul makes is, is there's people amongst the Romans who are sitting perhaps in a, in a setting like this who don't understand grace, don't understand what grace is about, and see grace as just simply uh, a pardon from sin, forgiveness of sin, but nothing more than that. The last thought I want to give you this morning is just kind of an explanation, and it comes in chapters number, chapter 6 in chapter number 7. And there are three thoughts with it. What, what Paul does is he, he goes on to explain what grace does to us. 
Not just what grace does for us. Yes, yes, grace is a pardon for sin. Grace is forgiveness. Grace says that your past, present, and future sins are completely done away with. And the Bible says that they're put as far as the east is from the west. This is what grace does for us. But we've got to remember that grace just doesn't, doesn't just do things for us, but grace does things to us. There's something that grace does to us. And so if you'll follow with me, we're going to just read and we'll skip here and there, but follow along. Verse 3 says, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man, okay, our old man is that, is that man that was who we were before we died, before we, before we died, before we were saved. And that old man was who we were before we were saved. The Bible says, know this, that your old man, okay, your old man, that person that you were before you were saved, was crucified with him. Okay? That person that I was before I was saved, I was perhaps a rebel. I was perhaps a, a lustful person. I was perhaps a cheating person. I was, uh, uh, maybe I was a lying person. Maybe I was a, a covetous person. Maybe, and, and you can go through the whole list of things. Maybe you, we all have our own little realm that we live in before we're saved. Here's what, here's what Paul says. Do you not know that who you were before you were saved is not who you are after you are saved? We, we like to think of salvation as being, I'm, I'm guilty and now I'm forgiven. Amen? We love that. But do we not realize that I was a liar and now I'm honest? Do we not realize that the grace of God doesn't just change our position, it changes our nature. It changes our character. It makes us into a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Here's what Paul says to the church of Rome. He says, do you not know that here's what you were like before you were saved, but you've experienced the grace of God, so here's what you're like now. You, you died to your old self. You died to your old self. You, you, you died with Christ, right? You were resurrected with Christ so that now you're not who you used to be. You are made new. You see, grace doesn't just pardon us, but grace changes who we are. We see this throughout the scriptures as well. You remember a guy named Saul in the New Testament. What happened when Saul got saved? What happened to his name? He became who? He became Paul, didn't he? Saul became Paul. Jacob, in the Old Testament, became Israel, right? And we see this characteristic in, in, in other places as well in the Bible. Simon became Peter. And what the Lord is describing to us is the fact that when a person gets saved, when a person comes to acknowledge, appreciate, and receive the grace of God, they're no longer the same person anymore, so for someone to say, should I continue in sin because I'm under grace? They don't understand that they died to that person. 
That person is no longer living. Who I was before I was saved is no longer living, but now I am a new creature in Christ. So a person who is a new creature in Christ wouldn't even ask the question, shall I continue in sin? Because they don't even want to continue in sin. Because that person, according to Scripture, that person is dead, no longer alive, no longer has any power and authority over us. And and the rest of this text explains that. He says in verse number 7, For he who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. And you can read the rest of the text, but... First of all, we need to understand that grace not only pardons us, but grace changes who we are. I have a younger brother who is an evangelist, and he grew up, his name is Philip Douglas, that's his first and middle name. So he grew up and he was called Douglas, that was his, what we called him as a family. Anybody in here called by their middle name? Anybody? Okay, we got a few, all right. A couple people called by their middle name. My brother was called by his middle name his whole life, he was Doug to us. Well, when he got to college, he went to a Bible college, and he got saved. He, he um, accepted the Lord as his Savior, and, and his life was changed. He was transformed. He was set on a new direction. And he decided at that moment that he wanted to be known by his first name, Phil. And so he started this journey of trying to get people to call him Phil, and pretty difficult to do, to, to make that transition with everybody who knows you by your old name. But now we all call him Phil. We all know him by Phil. And it's the same thing as that, we, that we go through as Christians. And people oftentimes, when we get saved, when we get changed, when we get converted, people often know us by that old person. But if we're truly converted over time, they begin to know us by who we really are. They begin to know us by our changed person. So, so remember this. If you're a Christian, if you are in grace, if grace has impacted you, it's not just pardoned you, but it's changed you. You're not the same person that you used to be. You're made new. And I'll tell you this. One of the greatest challenges that we have as as Christians today is is to believe that reality. Because the devil wants nothing more than to convince you that you are who you used to be. He's always trying to convince us that we are who we used to be. And that's the battle that we face. We need to believe that we're not who we used to be. But we are new creations. We are new creatures in Christ based upon the grace of God. So God changes who we are. On the inside makes us new. Go with me to the latter part of chapter number 6. God not only changes who we are, but God changes who we serve. Remember this. Being saved, being in grace, does not mean that you're no longer a slave. It does not mean that you're no longer a servant. According to Scripture, when we get saved, when we become followers of Jesus Christ... There is a transition of slavery. Matthew chapter number 6, the Lord says, No man can serve what? Two masters. He will love one and hate the other. No one can serve God and mammon or money or man or however you want to interpret that. No man can serve God and things. We have one master. We have one Lord. And this, this, um, this context here, the idea of slave or servant used in verses 15 down through 23, is the idea of we have one Lord in our life. There's one Lord. 
Jesus Christ is Lord in the life of a believer. And the flesh and sin in the world is Lord over those who are unbelievers. Watch what he says in verse 17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which you once delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. And he talks about at the end of this uh, passage that, that after we got saved, before we produced fruits that were sinful and unholy and unrighteous, and they ultimately ended up in death. But now we produce fruits that are full of righteousness, fruits of holiness that lead to everlasting life. Um, Galatians chapter number 5, 22 and 23 talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, you, you know them. Um, those are the things that the Lord produces through us. They're his works in our life. I, I always tell our people back at our church that um, it's, not always, it's not always healthy when you're evaluating your spiritual condition to look at what you're doing on the outside. It's more healthy to look at what's going on on the inside. In other words, it's the attitudes that come out of us that really reveal who we are. Your mom and dad might tell you to take out the garbage, right? I don't know, maybe that was my, maybe that was my generation. Maybe they don't, we don't do that anymore. But maybe your parents tell you to take out the garbage, right? You may take out the garbage with a bad attitude, right? So is that sin? You did what they asked you to do, but you did it with a bad attitude. Is that sin? It is sin, isn't it? It's still sin. It's still wrong because what was on the inside coming out was the attitude. What was on the outside was that you took the garbage out. It's always valuable to evaluate what comes out of the inside, not just what you do on the outside. So Paul says, secondly, that when, you, when you're under grace, he says that um, before we were saved, go back to verse 15. He says, what then sh shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? I want you to, if you underline in your Bibles, underline the word under grace. Okay, you're under grace. That means that, that the same authority that sin had in your life before you were saved, now grace has in your life after you're saved. You see, for, a, for, a, for, a, for somebody who is under the law of grace, it's no longer about the thou shalt nots. You know, it's like everything is rules and regulations. You can't do this, and you can't do this, and you can't do this. But what you will find in Scripture is that when people are under grace, it's no longer about the thou shalt nots, but it becomes about the thou shouts. You see, it's, when we're under grace, it's like we get this extraordinary opportunity to serve God. We have this amazing master, this amazing Lord that we want to serve. So the Lord no longer has to tell us what not to do because we've been changed, but now he tells us what we can do. He gives us this illustration in Ephesians chapter number 4. He says, he talks about in the past we were liars, but now don't, don't lie anymore. But he says, but now tell the truth. Grace doesn't just tell you not to lie, but grace enables you to tell the truth. You have a new master, a new Lord. So, the other side of grace. Number one, it changes who we are. Number two, it changes who we serve. We have a new master. We have a new Lord over us. And number three, if you go down to chapter number seven, it changes who we love. Remember this, uh, guys and girls, this is so important. The Christian, life is about, the Christian life is about doing the things that you love, okay? The Christian life is about doing the things that you love. 
and loving the right things. The Christian life is not about refusing to do the things that you love and doing the things that you don't love. That's legalism. The Christian life is about doing what you love and loving what God loves. What he says in chapter 7 and verse 1 through 6, he talks about marriage. He talks about before we were, marriage is about love, according to Scripture. Before we were saved, we were married to someone else. We were married to, we were married in an abusive situation. But after we're saved, we're married to Christ. And when, when we're married to Christ, it, it means that we're in love with him, we're connected to him, we're committed to him. So we no longer serve because we no longer look at Christ and the rules and regulations, but we look at Christ and we look at this relationship. And we now serve Christ not because he demands us to serve him, or you've heard this before, if you don't serve Christ, you know he's going to crush you. That's not why a Christian serves Christ. Jesus says in John 15, if you love me, you will what? You will keep my commandments. We don't serve Christ because we have to. We serve Christ because we get to. Because we're, we're in love with him. So I want you to consider, I want you to think about in closing, what has grace done, not just for you? Yes, pardon for sin, forgiven, sins forgotten by God. Yes, grace has done much for you. But my question this morning is, is what has grace done to you? Are you different? Has grace made you, taken you from a Saul to a Paul? Has grace transformed you into a new creation where you're not who you used to be, you don't serve who you used to serve, and you don't love who you used to love, but now you serve the Lord and now you love the Lord? My challenge this morning is this. Many of us serve the Lord out of responsibility and not out of privilege. And what I want you to grasp and get, get a hold of is the grace of God doesn't demand that you serve the Lord. It creates within you a desire to serve the Lord, a passion for serving the Lord, a love for the Lord. And this is the other side of grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you, you not only uh, forgave us and pardoned us from our sins, but you changed us, you transformed us. We're no longer who we used to be before. We're no longer um, slaves to self. We're no longer slaves to sin. Now we're a slave of righteousness in Christ. And we're no longer married or in a relationship that's not healthy and helpful. But, Lord, now we have a great husband, Lord Jesus Christ. You are our husband. You are our friend. You are our guide. And uh, we pray that you'll help us to serve you because we love you. We pray your blessing upon these students today, Lord God. Give them a good day. We pray, Lord, that you'd be honored and glorified through them. In Christ's name, amen.